Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined today, a special guest, by our Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry, uh, the Reverend Catherine Campbell. Hey, Catherine. Hi, how are you? How's it going? We're in your office. What are we doing? Uh, we are looking at piles of vacation Bible school stuff. <laughs> Dude, you read my mind. That was my first question on the list was how was vacation Bible school? It was, was it two weeks ago? Yes. Yeah, we'll pretend it was that last week, <laughs> but it was two weeks ago. It was terrific. We had five full days of learning about God's creation and how we're a part of it. And our kids like ate it up with a spoon, not just at snack time, but they ate up like all the lessons about like how we can be better stewards of the earth. And they really looked at ways they could implement those things in their daily lives. I'm so into that. I'm like super green environmentalist guy. And I feel like you're like farmer girl. And when I came to record the musicians during VBS week, I walked into the sanctuary and I was like, whoa, it smells like a barn. It smelled like hay because you guys brought hay into the actual sanctuary. We had hay. We had corn. We had soybeans. Uh, we also had a day where we had animals, not in the sanctuary. They were out on the churchyard. But we had a calf and two goats and two chickens. And the kids got to see like how growing stuff connects with the meat that we consume and how we're all this big web of an ecosystem. So I, I feel like you just started kind of still. It feels like that. You're still new as director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry. Um, what's going on coming up? What's going on this summer in your department? What's going on? What are we looking forward to? We're taking some time this summer to really plan our fall. And so because of that, we're offering about one thing per month for our youth, our grades 6 through 12 to do. Um, we just went to the beach. We're going to go to Raleigh here in July. And then in August, we're opening it up to all of our families to do some service activities. So parents, kids, babysitters, grandparents, they can match with a site and we'll do service August 1st through 4th. We are also doing a six-week series called Breakfast with Jesus, and kindergarten through fifth graders have been hanging out at Chick-fil-A on Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock, and we've been doing stories about Jesus eating with other people. Yo, Chick-fil-A and Jesus. I mean, this is a big win. That's nice. Uh, moving on then to the sermon, which you're about to hear in the podcast. You did the sermon this week. Uh, Anna is still out of town, and this is part of the summer sermon series and uh, where we're, we're, will you tell us, what's the summer sermon series? We are branching out. We're looking at passages that are kind of left out of the lectionary, typically. Yeah, and last week, Marin, we talked about it on the podcast, but it was Cain and Abel, and both Marin and I on the podcast, we were like, seems like that would be part of the lectionary, but it's not, which is interesting. And then uh, this week, the the one that you got down, did you pick this out? Did Anna pick all these out and, and just like throw them up and you guys grabbed one? Or did you choose this one? So I chose this one. Marin chose Cain of Abel because both of us, like separately in school, we love these passages when we went into them in our classes because nobody talks about them. And so they're kind of fun to talk about. So you're going to listen to it soon. And you may have saw it in real life. You may have watched it on YouTube. But um, it's the story of Elijah or... So Elijah is a prophet that gives his mantle to Elisha. Elisha, there we go. Ask me how many times that I mix that up this week. That was 
crazy. And then you kind of start the sermon out, which I don't want to give it all away or anything, but there's cool talk of Batman and Robin of your childhood of superheroes and handing down the cape. And then, uh, it goes into old Testament stuff and there's a lot. I'm not super versed on the old Testament. So like I'm hearing places, I'm hearing names, I'm, I'm figuring it out. There's part in waters. There's this happening. There's that happening. And then all of a sudden there's bears. Neither bears nor forest is the new idiom of the week. So she bears come out of the forest and you got to listen to find out what happens next. Bears. It's just bears. And I thought you did an awesome job of bringing it back around to what it was all about uh, for the summer sermon series, Bears. Old That's Testament. not the summer sermon series. No, it's not. It. It's not <laughs> about bears. But, it's, but we could talk about bears again. Yeah, we could. That's not, uh, so, uh, Catherine, it's great to talk to you in your office and about all this cool youth stuff coming up. Uh, if you haven't, if you're a listener to the podcast and you haven't gone on to Instagram and Facebook, uh, Catherine posts a lot of the kids stuff. What's the Instagram page? Because that's where I see it the most. It's FPCNB underscore families. So like First Presbyterian Church Newburn underscore families. Underscore families. Um, all kinds of great stuff coming from the kids, guys, stuff you're working on. And I'm sure you'll have a lot to, sh- to share as uh, you do all this cool stuff. So everyone enjoy the summer. Or, Summer, yeah. Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the sermon. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. Watch out for the bears. Let us pray together. God of enlightenment, help us to understand your word. As we meditate on your wonderful miracles, may we be encouraged and empowered. As we study how you provide, may we be strengthened. Help us know how to put your word into practice and have lives that are pleasing unto you. Amen. In the early 1990s, there was this little junk shop down in Vanceboro. And in the back corner, there were boxes and boxes of comic books. In a time before the Marvel or the DC movie franchises, my brother and I would spend hours curled up in the corner, combing through the Batman comics, pooling our chore money allowance to collect the story. And then we would act out the story while we played. He was always Batman and I, Robin. We had this cape from a home-sewn Halloween costume, and I always longed to wear it. So the day where we read the comic, where Batman passes the mantle to Robin, he is forced to step away from Gotham City. It was finally my day. He passes his cape and his responsibility to his sidekick-turned-successor the student turned teacher to the next iteration and generation of the superhero. This idea, this idiom of passing the mantle, it actually comes from a biblical story. The prophet Elijah wears a mantle. It's a loose sleeveless garment in the form of a cape or a cloak or maybe a robe. The Hebrew word for mantle, adoret, has this double meaning. Not only does it refer to the garment, but it also means a symbol of authority. 
Some scholars even go a step further and they view Elijah's mantle as the instrument of God's power. That perhaps God is somehow physically present in the mantle itself. After a theophany, this burning bush type appearance from God, Elijah is instructed to appoint Elisha as his replacement. Now, struggling to come to terms with losing his place as a mouthpiece of God, God's chosen messenger, Elijah, he drapes his mantle over the shoulders of Elisha as he is plowing ground, and he pronounces him as the next prophet of Israel. It's a puzzling action, and yet Elisha embraces the implicit message of the exchange, and he follows. We find the duo at the beginning of the second chapter of 2 Kings as God prepares to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Though the text doesn't detail the entirety of their adventures, we can infer that Elisha has been alongside Elijah all this time. As he pronounces God's judgment upon the kings Ahab and Ahaziah, Elisha is receiving on-the-job training. Now, refusing to leave the side of his mentor, he's enduring a test of faithfulness. Elisha follows Elijah from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the bank of the Jordan River. A crowd of acolyte of prophets has begun to approach and to question Elisha and follow Elijah as news of his departure spreads. Fifty stand in the distance at Jericho. And they watch as the prophet Elijah rolls up his mantle. He strikes the water, and it parts in the same fashion as Moses parting the Sea of Reeds in the Exodus story. And when they cross the Jordan, they find themselves beyond the border of Israel in the territory of Moab where Moses died. It is here in Moab where Elijah is taken, reminding us that the Elijah and Moses' stories are echoes in Scripture. To be taken meant to avoid the grave, to enter directly into the presence of God. Elijah is setting up an echo that rings when Jesus Christ himself ascends to the right hand of God. Now, when they, now before the chariot of fire and the horses of fire descend to scoop up Elijah, Elijah gives Elisha an opportunity to make a request of him before he goes. And Elijah, well, he asks for, now it kind of sounds greedy or presumptuous, but it's one of those queries with an ancient cultural explanation. Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He's not asking for twice the power of Elijah, but he is asking for twice what any other son might get. That double portion is the share of inheritance that is typically given to a firstborn son. 
The son responsible for taking up the family's work and responsibilities. Elisha wants to be seen as Elijah's rightful heir. So up in the whirlwind goes Elijah, and the only witness standing on the bank of the Jordan is Elisha with the mantle in his hand. And there is this moment, and I imagine that Elisha is overwhelmed with emotions. And he has a choice to make, to stay and to grieve or to believe and to begin his own journey. Passing the mantle from one generation to the next, it is a time of grief, but it's also this time of self-discovery. Elisha calls on the God of Elijah, and he strikes the water. And can you imagine the suspense? Will God provide? Will God's spirit work in me? We have these moments, don't we? Will the cancer treatment work? Will the marriage counseling work? Will I make it through this school year? Will I become pregnant? Will I stay clean from my addiction? Will I overcome the mental illness? Elisha, he watches closely, and you can almost feel him exhale as the river parts at his very feet. The crowd of 50 acolytes, they erupt at the sight and they proclaim Elijah's spirit has rested upon Elisha. For they did not witness the chariot of fire, the horses of fire. They only saw the miracle on the water. Two prophets crossing, one returning. God is with Elisha and so is the spirit. And the acolytes greet him and bow down before him in awe and as one with authority. Now, here's the humorous bit. They have a little bit of doubt, you know, that maybe the whirlwind didn't toss Elijah down a hill or uh, into a valley. So they double check to make sure that there are no remains. But after three days, when they are absolutely sure, they come back to Elisha and they make a request. I'll be reading some scripture today from a literary translation of ancient Hebrew by Richard Alter. The words differ from the Bible you may at have at home, but if you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. The men of the town said to Elisha, Look, pray, it is good to live in town as my master sees, but the water is bad and the land bereaves. And he said, fetch me a new bowl and put salt in it. And they fetched it for him, and he went out to the water source, and he flung the salt there and said, Thus said the Lord, I have healed these waters. There will no longer be death and bereaving. And the waters have been healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha that he spoke. And then he went from there to Bethel. And as he was coming up on the road, young lads came out from the town. 
And they jeered at him and said, Away with you, Baldy! Away with you, Baldy! And he turned behind them, him and he saw them and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the forest and ripped apart 42 boys. And he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there he came back to Samaria. Having just witnessed a miracle, the people of Jericho bring their tainted water problem to Elisha. Surely he has a solution for them. Surely the power of God is flowing through him. The water in the town is causing death in the land, killing crops and animals and people. The solution is deliberately paradoxical. If you have ever read a story or watched a movie about a shipwreck, you know that the first rule of survival is to find fresh water. Drinking salt water will dehydrate and kill you even faster. So Elisha is presented with undrinkable water, to which add, he adds this additional impurity, salt. There have been a couple scientific explanations explored for this miracle. My favorite theory, it traces the problem in Jericho to a certain species of freshwater snails that have been found in excavations of the ancient city. These snails are known carriers of a disease that is responsible for high infant mor mortality. Snails and salt don't mix. Once the snails are eradicated, the water source is clean. I love when science and faith, when they work together. Miracles are still miraculous, even if the science can explain why something beats the odds. Elisha creates the purification of the spring, and he credits it to God's intervention. It was not something that he knew how to do. God created our universe to be complex so that when there are narrow margins and something works, it is still a miracle of God's creation and God's timing. But then Elisha, he continues down the road back towards Bethel. And some lads, they come out and they start to insult the prophet. They jeer at him, go up, Baldy, go up. And he turns around and he curses them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears come out of the forest and they rip 42 of the young lads to shreds. The reader, the hearer, we are left with our mouths hanging open in shock and terror. No wonder this story is left out of the lectionary. Robert Alter calls this, mur this a murderous response to the boy's mockery. He calls it morally scandalous. And he asks, is it meant to suggest that Elisha does not make responsible use of his prophetic powers? That after turning death into life at the spring, he now spreads death? 
the early rabbis were so outraged by this story that they felt constrained to assert that it never happened. Their formulation? Neither bears nor forest. It became this idiomatic piece in Hebrew for a cock and bull story. So, indeed, what are we to do with this story? Some translations call them little children or young lads, and some call them youths. The translators, they express some discomfort in the age of the children, the mauled victims. Is it a story to scare bullies, to tell around a campfire? Commentators have allegorized to work to find some moral wiggle room for God and for God's prophet in this story. Which, does it seem to show some sort of God's dark side? That maybe the term bald is insulting. It's insulting Elijah's grief over losing his mentor. That he has, quote, lost his head. Or perhaps to taunt a prophet is to taunt God. But God's bigger than that, right? Cursing, causing pain and suffering. Lions, tigers and bears, sticks and stones. If you've ever attempted to ascribe a meaning to something, you know that there are spontaneous threads of curiosity that can take you down a rabbit hole of thought. So to write a sermon about bears, I kept thinking about our beloved newborn bear, a symbol that was used by the Swiss people in the city of Bern, Switzerland. There is a fierceness to Bernie the bear. He's emblazoned on a flag, he is leading the battle charge, he is capable of mauling. And yet, the interesting thing about bears is that they're actually not aggressive by nature, and they have no real natural enemies. And this is not just because of they're some sort of apex predator. They eat some meat when, they're, when it's convenient, but they're actually just omnivores that can live off the land. There was this hundred-year stretch of time when no bears actually roamed the Swiss Alps. And it's the same in Palestine. There are no Syrian brown bears left in Israel to come out of the forests these days. Over time, they were poached out of existence, and their foraging patterns have been changed by the biggest nuisance to stewardship on the earth. Us. Perhaps the world and the natural order is broken because we keep breaking it. And so the more I read, the more the same question kept bubbling to the surface. And it wasn't, why did God allow the youths to be mauled? It was, where are these kids' parents? Where is the village that raised them? Why are the youth of Bethel harassing the prophet of God in the first place? Who are their role models? Who is passing the mantle to the next generation? It's absolutely a partnership, an inheritance, an older generation equipping those who come after 
and the younger embracing that task. Or perhaps the moral of the story is simply that Elisha's ministry offers the possibilities of blessings or curses, life or death. Or perhaps we must be better so that our future generations are taught not to taunt God's prophets among them, bringing into question God's very sovereignty. There is a time when every generation must take up the mantle and in the power of the Spirit discover who God has called them to be. Amen. Receive now your benediction. As you go without these walls, leave here your sorrows and your cares. In their stead, take faith, hope, and love, these three, for they are thine. And from within your heart, great living altars raise, that you may know God and live at last with God forevermore. Amen. Amen.